This is Focal Point for Thursday, the 20th of November, 2008. Welcome to Focal Point, the podcast that shows you how to tap into the power of the internet in your business and your life. Now it's over to your hosts, Chris Pudney and Gihan Pereira, for this week's edition. Hello, Chris. How are you? I'm bleeping well annoyed, Gihan. <laughs> are you annoyed? Well, that's I'm... interesting. That could be an interesting conversation we have today. I'm annoyed about uh, the Australian government's plans for internet censorship, Gihan, which is what we're going to be talking today about. Don't, don't get too annoyed with me. <laughs> so, yes, we are going to be talking about internet censorship, um, and in particular, what's what the Australian government is proposing to do to censor the internet. It's probably not very well known that the Australian government already censors the internet. So Australia is one of those countries that already does have internet censorship, not to the same level as some other countries like China and Iran and Syria and South Korea even. Um, but it's the, the proposal may, may put us in that same sort of league and that's what, that's what we're concerned about, that's what a lot of people in Australia are concerned about. And so today we're going to be talking about, about the issue and it's, a, it's partly a political, political issue, it's partly a technical issue and we'll address both sides of those things. Yeah, and I, I think uh, the start, it will start with the history behind and I think a lot of people will be surprised to learn that we already do have um, some censorship from the previous government's um, internet censorship policy. I was, I was surprised to learn that and um, you sent me a really good article that you wrote back when that legislation was introduced, back in 1999. That's right. Now, this happened with the, the previous Australian government, which actually was on the other side of the political fence. It was John Howard's Liberal government, Liberal National government. And what's actually being proposed now is the Kevin Rudd's Labor government is now the government in Australia. So interestingly, both of those, both parties have decided that censoring the internet is good. And it happened first in, as you said, in 1999, some legislation was passed that did censor the internet in Australia to a certain level. And in, in a way, it was, it was still mandatory filtering or censorship of the internet, but only when things were reported. So, Internet users could report something to the um, relevant authority, the Australian Communications Authority, and they would then um, tell tell ISPs that they have to block this website or block access to this website or even take information off their servers if one of their users had a website on there with objectionable content. That's right. So if the, the content was hosted by an Australian ISP, then a takedown order was issued and the ISP had to make sure that that content was removed, whereas if the content was outside of Australia, and so obviously uh, ISPs in Australia have no control about material hosted overseas, then um, the ISP was asked to filter and prevent access to that content. Yeah, and I was, um, at the time, I was quite upset by it, as, as there were a number of other people in the internet community who were, because they basically felt that it was... It was technically unworkable. It was like telling the um, the postal service that they can't deliver mail that had any sort of illegal material in it. Um, and it, as it turned out, that is the case, that very few websites and very few ISPs have been affected by this. It's had very little effect at all, just because it's, it's hard to use and most people don't even know that it's available and so they don't make the reports. And so very few people have been affected by it. Yeah, that's my understanding too, Gihan. Reading around, uh, reading about it uh, suggests that there's been very little action taken 
uh, as a result of that legislation to block, to take down content in Australia or block access to content overseas. Yeah, and I think the, the danger that it that it would have posed if people had known more about it is that it would have lulled people into false sense of security, that, that parents particularly would have thought, okay, the internet's now safe for my kids, so I can let I can give them free access to it without worrying about it or monitoring what they're doing on, online. And that's actually going to be the case even with this new legislation, that people can be lulled into this false sense of security. Absolutely. I think even more so because of the, the mandatory nature of the legislation that's being proposed. Yeah, I think the other thing to to point out, Chris, about that old legislation, and I guess here's where we should probably talk about our political bias in in this respect, and I guess we're saying that we don't have a political bias. We're we're looking at this from a technical viewpoint, and and we will talk a little bit about the politics behind it. But very much the it was very much the case that in 1999, when the Howard government passed this legislation, it was basically so that. Um, it was uh, the phrase that you used earlier, Chris, when we were talking about this was currying favour. In that case, with a particular senator uh, whose support they required in order to get some other legislation through the Senate. I think it was the GST legislation. So it's a, it a fairly significant piece of legislation that they needed support from, um, from somebody in the Senate. And therefore, they said, OK, if you pass that, we'll pass this internet censorship legislation. Um, so it's a bit of a political issue as well. And I guess we're saying that we're not – we'll talk about the politics, but we're not necessarily saying we believe in this because we have a particular political view. We're really looking at it from a technical viewpoint. Yeah, yeah, that's right. It would seem uh, the senator you're talking about, I think, was Brian Harrodine, Tasmanian senator. That's right. He's no longer, no longer in the Senate. He's retired. And yes, the, the balance of power in the Senate it was, was finely balanced and, and the support of minor parties was critical. Um, and now that's, that's also the case. So it would seem that, uh, as was the case with the Howard Liberal National Coalition, the support of minor parties was important and so the internet censorship issue was used as a bargaining chip there. And again, that's the case with the current makeup of the Senate. In fact, it's even more so because uh, the Labour Party have a, a minority uh, in, the, in the Senate, and so again, they need support from minor political parties, and again, internet censorship appears to be being used as a political bargaining chip, which is a great shame. It is a great shame, um, and yeah, well, well, let's talk about the new legislation, Chris, because you said you said um, we should move on to that, and I think you're right. That so, the new legislation takes the the old idea, the 1999 idea, quite a lot further. Do you want to talk about? In summary, what it means, Chris? Yes. So what's being proposed, and at this stage it's just a proposal, the, the legislation hasn't been introduced. So what's being proposed is two levels of filtering. There's going to be um, a mandatory filter, uh, which is the clean feed, I think it's referred to as the clean feed. So illegal content uh, must be blocked at the ISP level. So every Australian ISP will be required to block access to a particular set of websites um, as maintained by ACMA, which is the Australian Communications and Media Authority. And then there's also going to be a second level of filtering, which is optional. Uh, You can opt out of it if you want to, which is material that um, is supposed to be child-friendly. So various, um, um, I guess, R-rated and and adult material and violent material will be filtered. The the details haven't been made obvious, uh, haven't been made public as to what constitutes child-friendly, but this is a second level of filtering that's also going to be applied at the ISP level, 
and that's optional um, and is supposed to be child-friendly. And I guess one of the things we should say is that I think if you ask the ordinary person on the street, would you approve of preventing your uh, legislation that would stop your children getting access to illegal material or pornography or stopping adults getting access to illegal material, most people would say yes. It's a, it's a fairly natural thing. It's, it's like saying, do you think that you should recycle or do you think that kids should have more fresh air and uh, less time in front of video games? It seems like an obvious thing that everyone would obviously say yes to. And yet, that, even though that's the case, there are still reasons why the, the solution that's being proposed isn't a good one. Yes, and, and that's the problem. The devil is in the detail, isn't it? And uh, whilst th- those kinds of ideas are appealing, it's it's the actual technical implementation that's problematic. And perhaps we should move on to that now, Gihan. Well, I'm, I'm interested that like, you talked about those two tiers, Chris. The, the second one, which is the optional one, which allows parents to um, opt in or opt out to have that filtering that will stop their kids getting access to um, adult material, legal adult material, there's really that there's much less opposition to that, isn't there? Yes, that's right, because that is optional. So um, it, it's it's the mandatory nature of the other feed that I think most people are upset about, uh, and myself included. Um, so the optional material you can opt out of. Um, so I guess, yeah, that facility is made available um, if you want it. You can opt into what well, I think it's by default... Uh, the ISPs provide it and you have to opt out so it's an opt out system for that kind of filter Right, and I guess the real, the only real danger of that is, is that idea that parents might be lulled into false sense of security because they think it's, they think it's blocking everything that's um, not child friendly and in fact technically you can't do that that, that's right, Gihan. That's it's, it's potentially dangerous. If, if a parent thinks all I need to do is make sure I've subscribed to this particular child-friendly feed, then I can let my child access the internet without monitoring it or without you know, giving them any educational context when they're on the internet. Um, and so the reality is that uh, they might be able to access material that uh, is objectionable or that they, sh- that they shouldn't be uh, seeing. And there are various other things like... Um, uh, contacting people, contacting strangers, no amount of filtering is going to stop them from contacting people they don't know. Um, so, yes, there's definitely this false sense of security that uh, optional filtering uh, might induce. Okay, good. So so that's going to be the case anyway. And I think maybe one of the things we'll say at the end is that the, the, real, the real solution is education. But let's talk about the technical aspects, Chris, as, as you alluded to. Yes, so both filters will be um, conducted at the ISP level. Uh, So presumably there's going to be some software that the ISPs run and that will check against various blacklists of websites and perhaps also look at the material itself in order to make judgments about whether it uh, is child-friendly or not. And And then if it passes the filter, then it will be sent to the browser or whatever software has made that request uh, from the ISP subscriber. Right. Okay. So technically, it's trying to put something in between the user in the home and the the worldwide internet that's out there. And the the obvious place to do that is with the internet service provider. Mm, That's right. Okay. And so some, some tests have been done on this, haven't they, Chris? And they found that it's somewhat effective, but also it has problems. Yes. So the, there are 
two main problems that the ISPs have pointed out to uh, to the government. And the first of these is that whenever you introduce a filter, you um, slow down the speed of delivery of, um, of, of data it's because some kind of analysis has to take place. There's the interception, the analysis, and then passing it on or rejecting it. So they found... So this... So this is like um, customs. So the job of customs is sometimes to inspect things that come into Australia, or if you come if you come back into Australia, there will be somebody inspecting your suitcases at, at certain times, and that slows you down from getting through the line. Precisely, that's a great analogy. That's a great analogy, and uh, just as it's as is the case in the airport, that can really slow you down. Many of the field tests have demonstrated some significant slowdowns. Um, I'm not sure about the actual software being used, but some of them. Uh, like like 50% slowdown, so really dragging your uh, your internet speed uh, right down. Yeah, and I've seen I've seen some stats that say yeah, like 50%, but even some as high as 85% right. or higher, yeah, which means it's 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 terrible. And maybe some of that problem will go away when we get faster broadband. But that's another political hot potato, I think. That, that that's right. Yeah. I mean, we already have fairly mediocre broadband speed in Australia, and so introducing a filter that's going to reduce that by as much as 85% has obviously got a lot of people uh, really annoyed, myself included. <laughs> Yeah, and, and as you say, the the key thing here, it's a mandatory filter. So we cannot say, okay, we're happy to uh, – so you can say – some people might say, okay, well, we're happy to have a slow internet if it keeps our kids safe, but it means that everyone's forced to use it. So it's not a case of you going, I, I can choose to have it or not. Everyone's going to be slowed down. That's right. So that was the first thing. You said there were two problems. The second problem is that the filtering is not 100% effective. So uh, there is a percentage of false, negative, false negatives and false positives or under-filtering and over-filtering. So sometimes it lets through content that should be filtered and blocked. Sometimes the filters block content that should be allowed through. So there's a, a failure rate with the filters uh, that also reduces their effectiveness. Yes, and I think the other thing that I, I read somewhere, Chris, is that it's not blocking all the content on the internet. It's it's blocking websites and web pages, but there's a lot of other material that, and I've seen some people say it's up to about 60% of all internet traffic is not going to be affected by this filtering system at all. Right. I guess that's things like file sharing networks, peer-to-peer networks that aren't... Exactly. Yes. Exactly. So people downloading stuff, and, you know, admittedly, they're illegally downloading music sometimes or illegally downloading movies, but the whole idea of filtering means that you should be filtering that material as well. Mm. And, and, sorry, go on, Gihan. And, and kids, if, if, if anybody, it's the kids who are going to figure out how to make that work. Absolutely. A case in point is the, the previous government introduced a free piece of filtering software. I think it's called NetAlert. Um, and within a few days of it being released to the public, it was disabled, and it was disabled by a teenager. <laughs> Not surprising. No. They should have got teenage. Should got teenagers to do the initial testing. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> exactly. And and that's that's another problem with the filters is that they're relatively easy to circumvent. And as you've just point, as we've just pointed out, if anyone's going to find out how to circumvent these uh, these filters, it's going to be technically savvy teenagers. So things like virtual private networks, VPNs or proxy services, these will all get around uh, the filters if, if you need to. Um, okay, so there's, so there's some problems. And I guess at a technical level, there's some fairly serious problems that are 
going to mean that even if this proposal becomes law, it again is not going to be very effective. And in fact, it could actually harm most internet users. That's right, absolutely. So they're, they're doing a trial at the moment, and you, you sent me something, Chris, from um, Michael Malone, who's the head of IINet, which is one of Australia's biggest ISPs, who says that he's going to take part in this trial because he, seem, he sees that it's, it would be counterproductive not to take part. But so he's going to take part, and he realizes that it's completely unworkable, but he'll use uses this as an opportunity just to, to demonstrate how unworkable it is. That's right. He's, he's made a good point. He's one of uh, the most vocal critics of the proposed legislation. Uh, but he's also made the point to his users when he announced that uh, IINet were going to participate in the trials. I think there was a bit of a backlash from his users. Uh, and he said there's no point on us standing on the outside and just uh, uh, heaping uh, vec- uh, invective on the, the government. We need some hard data to back up our claims. And so he wants to participate in the trial so he can give the the government the numbers that indicate just how much it slows down the internet, just how often it fails, just how easily it can be circumvented and and, and is ineffective. And then with that data in hand, we'll be able to say, well, if you want to spend, I think it's something like 40 million they're going to spend on this, 40 million implementing something Mm. that just slows down the internet, then I think he he wants to be able to demonstrate uh, that it's just the problems that it has. Okay, so, so we've got some technical problems, and the way that we're describing it, they're fairly serious technical problems. Mm. So why, why is it going ahead? We've talked about the idea that it needs support in the Senate. So let's, let's, let's move on to the political side of it, Chris. Uh, and again, we're not taking a political stand on it, but let's talk about the politics surrounding it. Yes, uh, the government aren't stupid. Obviously, there have been plenty of uh, people pointing out the, the flaws in their proposed legislation, just as there was uh, the first time around. You wrote a really good article when the um, when the Howard government introduced their legislation, poking holes in it, um, and same again this time. So why are they persisting with uh, implementing uh, a kind of censorship that just is such a problem? And the conclusion that I draw is that they want to use it for, for bargaining power in the Senate. And I thought it was part of the the, the Rudd government, the current government's uh, part of its election promises. And so now what they're doing is they're implementing it come hell or high water, whether or not it's going to work. But you actually pointed out to me earlier, Chris, that there's a difference between what they promised and now what they're proposing. Yes, my understanding that the mandatory nature of uh, the, the clean feet filter was not part of the pre-election platform on internet censorship. Uh, I don't believe that there was uh, any mention of it being mandatory, that it was always going to be optional. Um, so this is a, a rather new and draconian um, addition to what was promised prior to the election. Uh, in fact, it, what's being proposed now by the ALP bears more resemblance to Family First's um, proposed internet filtering, which was, which was to be mandatory. And coincidentally, the ALP, the Labour Party, requires the support of a family first senator do, in the Senate. They do. Now, fortunately, there's a, there's, a, there's a glimmer of hope here in that not only do they require the support of family first and independent senator Nick Xenophon, but they also require the Greens' support because the Liberal National Coalition have, um, I think, five more sitting members in the Senate than does the ALP. So without the Greens' support as well, uh, then I think the legislation is dead. And at this stage, the Greens have and, and Nick Xenophon have both uh, said they won't support the bill. 
Okay. Okay, so we'll talk a little bit at the end about what you can do if you're interested in in taking up arms against this and and if you want to support the idea that we don't have this this unworkable internet censorship. And I guess that's my biggest criticism of it is that I don't mind if we have and if we have something that's optional and I don't mind if we have something that's effective, but I object to something that's mandatory and ineffective. Yes. Um, so we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about that later, but let's let's talk about some of the consequences if this legislation does come in. So we talked about it's going to slow down the internet. It means that um, it is ineffective because there will be some things that will get blocked when they shouldn't be, and vice versa. Uh, we talked about the fact that kids will be able to bypass it pretty pretty quickly. What are the other yes, things? Yes, just on that note, make sure that you have some children to help you get around these bills. <laughs> yes, it's like. <laughs> It, it's it's so simple that only a child could do it. <laughs> um, any other consequences? Oh, actually, you raised one other one, Chris, which is about the fact that um, just because you block everything for um, children, like not all children are the same. There are there are five year olds using the internet. My nephew Riley and my niece Abby use the internet, and everything that's child friendly doesn't necessarily mean it's friendly for three or five year olds. Yeah, that's right. The legislation. At- stage is quite hazy when it comes to defining what's going to be in the optional filter to make it child-friendly. Is it going to be aimed at teenagers or 9 and 10 year olds or 4 and 5 year olds? My daughter Lauren, who's 4, also uses the internet, but uh, there's some things that uh, that's teenager content that I wouldn't want her seeing. So, yeah, it's really, yeah, it, again, that's one of the unworkable aspects of the proposal. I, th- I think one of the other things is that it's a little bit scary to, to some people, uh, or potentially scary, is that the list of sites that are, that's going to be filtered is not going to be made public. So you won't know what's being filtered and what's not. Now, that may be okay because you could say, okay, well, they're only going to filter out illegal content and child pornography, things like that, which there should be. But there's nothing to stop them from filtering political groups or people taking a stance on something or, or anything that the government, that f- this government and future governments choose to add to the filter list. That's right. It's the thin end of the wedge. And as you pointed out, we don't know. We're not, the list of uh, filtered sites isn't made public. And when it was put to um, Stephen Fielding, who's the family first senator, what, if this filter, if this legislation came to pass, what he would like to see um, filtered, then he said it was more than just illegal content. He wanted things that he found. Family First, by the way, for people who don't know, are a conservative Christian um, political party. That's the, the basis of their electric, their support. But uh, it was things that they find, you know, morally objectionable that he would like to see filtered as well. Um, and Nick Xenophon, although he doesn't support the legislation, said that, well, if it were introduced, then he would like to see online uh, overseas gambling sites blocked as well. So, again, it, it opens the door for the, the filter list to be used as a political bargaining chip to, to carry favour with the minor the minor parties in the Senate. Mm, and, and those are just the things that we know about. Mm, what, right. what about. What about a future government that decides that they don't want any dissenting opinions of, of their government um, promoted on the internet? So they don't want Australian citizens to see any criticism of the Australian government they could choose to just add that to the filter list and we wouldn't even know. Yes, you wouldn't You wouldn't know until, uh, I guess, you saw a, a message. Uh, I don't know how, what, what, I don't know how, uh, I guess you'll just get a page not found or some kind of error message when you try and access that sort of material. And, oh, you, and I'm not sure. Oh, your four-year-old daughter tells <laughs> you that. 
exactly. <laughs> yes. Um, but this is a sort of criticism that's been leveled at countries like China, who have been accused in the past of blocking dissenting material, dissent, like dissenting with the, the official government stance. Mm. And in Australia, we're proposing to put something in place that will allow Australian governments to do exactly the same thing. Yes, yes. And that is a worry for a lot of people. Yeah. All right, so what can we do? We're talking about what, what the ISPs are doing, the internet service providers are doing, so they're, they're clearly against it, no, not just for financial reasons, but for the technical reasons. Mm-hmm. You and I are publishing a podcast, so we're telling as many people about it as possible, uh, but maybe someone will come knocking on our door now and say, <laughs> drag us off to jail. That's right, with no internet. <laughs> talking about this. <laughs> yes. Um, but what can other people do? Well, one thing uh, I would recommend is that if you're concerned about the proposal, then the Electronic uh, Frontiers Australia organisation, their um, uh, online free speech advocacy group, efa.org.au, they've set up um, a website devoted to uh, this particular issue. I think it's called nocleanfeed.com. I'll check that. We can certainly provide no, the link. You're right. It is, is it? That's it. Can... No, you, you tell me about that. Okay. That's, thanks for reminding me. We can provide that link uh, in the blog entry corresponding to this podcast. So, yes. Um, if you're concerned that they've got uh, a good uh, overview of the legislation and a critique of it, not just on free speech grounds, as well as some action you can take, such as writing to Senator Conroy um, or to your local member or to your ISP. Yes. yes, and I guess I guess what we're saying in summary is that this is bad legislation. It's not going to work. Uh, it's not going to do what it's supposed to be doing, and it's actually going to hurt people in terms of the access to the internet and even perhaps the um, sort of the, the forces of security that people are going to feel. That's right. And perhaps, you know, if, you, if you're using filtering software, there's third-party software available or even net alert provided by the government, uh, don't rely on that exclusively uh, for access to the internet by your kids. Make sure that you're part of uh, what they do online, that you know what they're up to and that uh, you're guiding them uh, through cyberspace. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And that was exactly the same advice that I gave back in almost 10 years ago now when the legislation first came into place. The, the, the best thing to do, the, and I'll, I'll quote from that article, the only meaningful long-term way to protect your children is to learn the technology and teach your children how to use it responsibly. And uh, I think that's still the case. That's still the case. It's, you cannot rely on technology alone. You cannot rely on governments or legislation alone to help you out. It takes this take some responsibility absolutely okay well i think that's about all we'll say on this topic chris okay and if we haven't been censored we'll be having another podcast in a fortnight's time do you have <laughs> that's right we will <laughs> what we'll be talking about then well, I guess we've had a pretty serious topic this time, and we've, um, I guess we've taken a fairly uh, a strong stance on this. So, so let's let's uh, turn that around, and next time, given that we're coming up to coming up to Christmas which people call the silly season. Let's talk about some things, uh, some silly things that people do on the internet and maybe some warnings of not to do. For example, uh, be careful what you do at office Christmas parties because more and more people now have camera phones and there's evidence that can be taken down and used against you. So, so I think that's a, that's a good thing to do for our next podcast, Chris. So we'll talk about yeah, how not to uh, make a fool of yourself on the internet and then perhaps towards the end of the year or early next year, we'll do a review of 2008 and looking forward to 2009. Sounds good, Kihan. Speak to you then. 
You've been listening to the Focal Point Podcast. You can find us on the web at www.gihanperera.com forward slash podcast. That's G-I-H-A-N-P-E-R-E-R-A dot com. Subscribe to the podcast, listen to all our past issues, or leave us your comments and questions. We look forward to having you back next time.